Amen. First of all, happy Father's Day to all of our fathers. I know we got several out today for various reasons. Children will be dismissed, Children's Church. And uh, Shanae will go and love on our kids, teach them the word. So, so. Uh, but it's so good to see our fathers here. I know we have people traveling, different people out, various reasons often on Father's Day. And, uh, but happy Father's Day to our men. I tell you, a lot of churches are not so blessed to have as many men as we do in our church. And we have a w- wonderful group of men. And I am proud of the men of this church and appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, something Terry just delivered to me from my dad. My, uh, my dad's uh, nephew uh, just went into emergency surgery. And he's had a, a difficult bout the last few weeks with different things. Uh, his heart issues, uh, had a hernia uh, going on and different things. But they just found some things going on in his intestines that uh, they got to do emergency surgery or he's not going to make it. And I don't know how well his heart is to make it on top of that. So please be praying. It's Robert. His name is Robert. And I want to pray real quick. Pray that for this need. And most of all, that he knows the Lord intimately. Uh, he's a very intellectual man. Uh, and sometimes that can get in the way of our uh, n- uh, uh, of us knowing the Lord uh, deeply. And so just if you would, let's just join in right now and just pray for a successful surgery. And most of all, that uh, Robert uh, draws near to God. And I know my dad's really been concerned for him, and it's gone there now. So uh, uh, let's, let's just pray with me, if you would, and then let's go into the Word of God today. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for the fathers here. And God, we pray for Robert, who is a father. And God, it's in surgery right now. God, are about being prepped for surgery. We just pray for a miracle in his situation. Pray, God, that he would uh, know you more intimately as Lord and Savior and Messiah. Pray that you would spare his life, God, that you would just help him, that this surgery would be successful. You'd give the doctors and nurses wisdom on how to help him and, 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 and deal with him in this situation, Father. We know that you're a good God. You're a great Father. And, Lord, we just trust you with everything. So, God, we just put him in your hands, and, God, we know that uh, everything will be well, God. We just, uh, we, we just thank you for that. We pray that you be with us throughout the remainder of this service, God. We just ask you to be with us. I pray that you would speak through me today and let it be your words and not my own, God. I pray that you would draw us closer to you and open us up to this great revelation in this book, God. And uh, just, uh, Lord, uh, bless the fathers that are here. Thank you, God. Let the fathers continue to step up and be just godly men who are doing what you've called us to do until you come, Lord. We give you the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. And again, Caleb and Emma, I know, thank everyone for uh, all that you did for them for the shower yesterday. And appreciate people's participation tonight for the baby shower. Uh, thank you so much. If you got your Bible, go to Revelation chapter fo- uh, 4. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. I tell you, I, 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 I'm, I'm so excited about this study, but when I try to stay on a study, God just starts hitting all kind of things from me from every which way, and it really tempts me to get on other paths. Uh, and uh, there's, there's a message that uh, the Lord's been speaking to me about the times in which we're living, uh, and so uh, I don't know if I'll break in one day and do a little bit of that. It kind of goes along with this still as well, but I, I decided to stay the course this morning, and I'm gonna, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 4, chapter 5, and we're going to look, look at Christ the Lion and the Lamb of Victory. Christ the Lion and the Lamb of Victory. So if you got your Bible again or on the screen, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, and we're going to look at verses 1 through around 8, or no, through 9. So let's, let's look at this. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard speaking to me was like a trumpet. And it said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Go to the next verse. And he who sat on the throne had the appearance of Jasper and of Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow and had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. 
From the throne came flashes of lightnings and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first living creature was like a lion. And the second living creature like an ox. And the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight, and the four living creatures which of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and is to come, was and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever and they cast their crowns before the throne saying worthy are you O Lord our God and God to receive glory and honor and power for you were created all things and by your will they existed and were created the Bible says they, they were existed and they were created and listen to what verse 10 says uh, uh, and whenever the living creatures uh no, that was it. They were they existed and they were created. That's it. Uh, so, so Revelation is a, a phenomenal book that we've been looking at. It, it's absolutely uh, powerful. We talked about how we're going to take a step back and look at it from a more broad perspective. We talked about like the Monet painting that we showed, the impressionist painting. Impressionist painting. How when you when you zoom on in on an impressionist painting, sometimes that it, it can be confusing. But when you pull out, you can see what it what it what the painting is all about, and that's kind of what we're doing with the book of Revelation. We're kind of zooming out and we're taking a broad picture so that we can understand what God's really trying to say here, the totality of the book here. And what, what, what we want to see, we've looked at the last couple of weeks as John is uh, on this island of Patmos and, and Jesus is the one who has, is receiving this revelation from the Father and he is now showing it to his servants uh, through an angel and, and, and giving it to John to write it down. And last week we saw he wrote it down and he took these messages to the seven churches. This one who's standing in the middle of the churches and he takes these messages to the seven churches. And we looked at that last week. And then we're going to see something very interesting because now this phenomenal book that we, that we see that's written for God's people, that is written to us, we're going to see that uh, it gives us this better image of Jesus. Like we talked about how uh, our, uh, apocalypse is an unveiling veiling or revealing. It's to show us what is really there. And we looked at the first, uh, how at the first coming, the revealing of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Lamb of God. We saw that unveiling and revealing there with Simeon in the temple. But now we're going to see uh, this unveiling of Jesus now that he's died and buried and rose from the grave. We're seeing this unveiling or this revealing of the Messiah as King, as priest, as Lord of Lords. And that God is Stowed on him a name that's written above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should, should confess. So what we're seeing here is this really, really, as his servants, this really great picture of who Jesus really, really is. And in chapter 4 and 5, something really cool that's going to happen is we are going into the throne room. We are literally going into heaven. They are from heaven's perspective. We are, we are going inside of heaven and we're going to see some things. If you remember, we said there were like seven roadmaps or seven things that we were kind of looking out throughout this study, the box top of the puzzle and some key realities that keep coming up in the book. One of them was being the nature of the book is the apocalypse or the unveiling. We, are, we looked at that. We looked at the central idea of the book is Jesus Christ. We're going to continually see that's the theme is the central theme of the book and the central idea is over and over. It's about Jesus Christ. We saw the source of the book was from the Father. We saw the recipients or the Son and us who know Jesus, his servants. And we saw the, the messengers or the angels that it comes through. And then we saw the prophecy. Even last week we saw an expectation of, and today we'll see the, an expectation of change that's coming uh, now. And then we see the promise or the blessing that we saw and we'll continue to see. So in chapters 4 and 5, we see this breathtaking reality of Jesus Christ's return now from a different perspective than ever before. Not 
not from our vantage point, Jesus is coming. Hey, why are you men of Galilee? Why do you stand looking up into the heavens? This same Jesus who, ca- who just left you will come again in like manner as you've seen him go. No, now we're getting the vantage point of heaven. John is being taken literally into the throne of, uh, of heaven. Come up here and I'll show you things which are about to take place hereafter. Come up here, John, in the spirit and I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you the return of Christ from heaven's vantage point. You're going to see Jesus like you've never seen him before. And I'm going to show you some really amazing things. Jesus is coming back. And that's what he's telling him. Jesus is coming back. And I got good news for you today. When we sing those songs, those are not just songs. Like a bride waiting for her groom, we are the church ready for you. Come on. Every heart longing for the king. Even so, John comes to the end of this book and says, come, Lord Jesus. Even so. Come, Lord. I'm waiting. I'm longing. I'm looking every day for the coming of the King. And that's what God is unveiling right here to us as He takes John into the throne room and says, Show this to my servants from heaven's vantage. Tell them not to worry. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And I got something to show them in chapter 4 and chapter 5 that's going to settle their nerves while they're on the Isle of Patmos, while they're going through pandemics, while they're going through difficult times while they've got bad news coming from the hospital. I'm going to show them something. Jesus is, is coming. Jesus has got everything under control. And so all the people in this room, we're about ready to go into the throne room. We're about to be taken into the throne room and the passage centers on heaven. And, and, and the father is basically now unleashes his son to go back and make everything in the world right. This is what you're seeing. Everything that was wrong in the world. Everything that was handed to Adam and he forfeited. Everything that Adam Adam was given what we're going to see today. And he fumbled the ball, so to say. And all of a sudden, now, how is it going to be? How are wrongs going to be made right? How are we not going to stay in this situation? How are we not going to stay in a world that seems miserable and corrupt and vile and wicked? Are are things ever going to change? Because most of the world is looking out there today from our vantage point and not heaven's vantage point. And they're saying, man, I'm going to blow my brains out tonight because it can't get any better. And they're saying, I'm going to take drugs tonight because it can't get any better than this. And man, I'm depressed because the world seems horrible today, doesn't it? And all of a sudden, that's the vantage point that we're seeing. And God is bringing us to another vantage point and saying, what I'm just handing off to my son is going to make everything all right again. Amen. And so chapter 4, we're in heaven. Chapter 5, we're in heaven. Chapter 4, the centerpiece of it is God. The center is in heaven. And God is sitting on His throne. And He is sitting in absolute perfection. And He describes Him as a diamond, as an emerald, as rubies, and all kind of precious, absolutely beautiful things. It describes His throne as surrounded by this emerald rainbow. It describes there is lightning, and there is thunder, and there is worship. And and everything about this passage and everything here points to this throne in heaven where God is and everything is in absolute control by our God. Amen. The one who sits on the throne controls history. The one who sits on the throne has everything absolutely under his control. Washington's not guarding this thing. The UN is not guiding this thing. Putin is not guiding this thing. The Ukraine is not guiding this ship. No, God Almighty sits in heaven. He sits on the throne absolutely in control. He's guiding history and moving it exactly according to his perfect will and power and power plan. Amen. The one on the throne controls history and our God is in control. And so one of the things that God is bringing them up to show them and to show us and to show John and to show his servants is is, is simply this, that in one sense, heaven seems disconnected from earth, right? Right? Not a trick question. And that's why Jesus prayed what? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. How are we going to connect? How is God's rule, how is God's will be going, going to be able to be done on earth now as it is do, being done in heaven? 
How are we going to get from this glorious throne room, God in control, everything amazing down here on this earth where everything seems so vile, wicked, corrupt, out of control, and crazy? How, how in the world is this disconnection where we feel a little bit disconnected? And that's what God is bringing us into this throne room in chapter 4 and in chapter 5 to show us, no, I don't care if it feels a little bit discombobulated. I don't care if it feels a little bit disjointed. Let me show you from my perspective what has happened and is happening now. I'm in absolute control. God is in absolute control. And this prayer in this chapter, we're going to start be seeing it from this point on, from Revelation Chapter 6 on, when the seals are about to be unrolled, we are about to see this thing begin to be connected on earth as it is in heaven. We're about to see the plan of God become unfold. And God answer that prayer of Jesus as on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. And God says, even though I'm in heaven, I'm in control. I'm in control. And even when you read Fox News or hear Fox News or CNN or whatever your poison is, whatever you look at MSNBC, all that trash and mess, whatever you see and whatever you see that depresses you every day and makes you think that the world is spinning out of control. No, it's not spinning out of control because I am in control, God says. And I could ask the question, do you ever just feel like the world is out of control? You know, we get upset. If, you're, if your guy doesn't make it, you know, we're, we're, we're losing our mind po politically now. we got so much confidence in, in politics. Too much confidence. We're, we're, if our guy doesn't make it, we're having a hissy fit like the world's going to end. Let me tell you something. From heaven's perspective, it doesn't matter who, proves, who becomes the next president. It does not matter who is in the, in the Congress or who is in the Senate. I got news for you. God is still in absolute total control. Amen? From heaven's perspective, God still sits on the throne. He's still ruling and He's still directing all things where they are supposed to go. Right? That being said, go vote this week. There's an election. <laughs> But it does not mean we don't struggle, even though he's on the throne right now and in absolute control, right? It doesn't mean at this particular point and the rest of the book of Revelation from this moment when we leave the throne room uh, uh, starting in chapter 6 and going all the way to the end of the book, God truly fulfills that prayer when Jesus says your will might be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're going to see from the rest of the book how God who reigns in heaven is now going to bring his rule to bear on the earth. And in chapter 6 you see a scroll or that is being rolled up and it's being sealed. Or, uh, that, that, and, and, and this seal is being pulled back, the Bible says. And in that is going to be the proclamation of the victory of God. Every seal, when he unseals it, it is just unsealing the proclamation of the victory of God on earth as it is in heaven. God reigns. God is victorious. God is in control. And at the end, you're going to experience the trumpet blast and we're going to see them. And we're going to see these seven trumpets as they're blown into the earth and we're going to see these bold judgments that are being poured out which is God's wrath and it leads to chapter 19 where Jesus Christ would, won't just be inaugurated as king but he will be totally king of kings and lord of lords and that's when Philippians will come into place that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And no one will doubt anymore who's in charge. Nobody. Even if they don't believe, they won't, they won't doubt anymore who is king. They won't doubt anymore who's in ruling the earth and heaven and under the earth and everything. They're going to know for a fact when we get to that place that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. They're going to know that God has bestowed on him a name given above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. And this is where all of Revelation is 
pointing to, and it's why it's such a wonderful, marvelous book. This is the telling of the story of where God is moving everything. And that's what we're beginning to see in chapter 4 and 5. This is where God is moving us. This is the place where redemption is finally being secured. The new covenant is finally being completed. Everything is sealed up. Part of our redemption has been done. We're seeing the fulfillment of it all right here. The rest of the plan, the the rest of the story, like Paul Harvey used to say, is being done now for the rest of the story. That's what you're getting now. You're going to see the final coming of Jesus where at the fulfillment of everything, fully inaugurated as King of Kings. And John is sitting there, well, that's great that you're showing that to me now while I'm on this island, but how in the world are you going to do this? How in the world are you going to make this happen? How is your will going to be done on earth as it is in heaven? And all of a sudden, the Bible says that John sees his throne. He, he, sees, he sees the throne. And, and, and we start to see how John is going to see this happen on earth as it is in heaven. When you get to Revelation 5.1, and it says the, he begins to see there the beginnings of how Christ's rule is going to come to bear on this earth as in heaven. And we see it right here. He starts to use words like we talked about earlier, like like and as, because he's a guy who's trying to explain the throne room and it's kind of like this it's like if Daniel and I went to a tribe uh, of people and all of a sudden they've never known anything about technology and yet we're going to this lost this 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 tribe out in the middle of nowhere and we are charged with the task that we have to describe electricity to them They've never even seen a power pole, a power box. They've never seen electricity work. They've never seen a light bulb. And yet we have to go charged with the task without Corey to try to explain to them what electricity is and how it works. It's impossible. And that's what John right here is doing the same thing. He is brought up into the throne room, this cosmic throne room in the spirit, seeing things like we've never seen before, seeing the throne room of God and trying to explain it to me and you pretty impossible pretty impossible and out all of a sudden when he comes into this throne room and he sees this marvelous God the father sitting on the throne and he sees the the thunder and the lightning and he sees the sea of glass and he sees the one who looks like a diamond I mean the diamond is the most precious thing we have one of the most precious thing we have on earth that all the light reflects off of it the it's it's closest John is like he's kind of like this and as this and he's just trying to bring the best thing that we have here on earth to try to describe to us what this God looks like and what he is. He kind of like this. He has this. And then all of a sudden he's in that throne room and he sees a hand come forth reaching out and that hand comes out with a scroll the Bible says. Then I saw in the right of hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. He's holding out this will and testament because John would have known. He would have known immediately what this was by growing up in Rome. He would have known exactly what those seals were on this scroll written on the outside and on the inside. He would have instantly known that is a will and testament. That is a will and testament being handed off to the heir who, who, is, who has died and now deserves it. And he would have known it's handed off and that this the keys to the entire universe. In other words, it's kind of the one able to open the the remainder of redemptive history is what this is. They're able to open this and to lead his people uh, victoriously through the rest of this redemption. That's exactly what this is. That's what's trying to be handed out. It's the new covenant. It tells how God will save the church, Israel, and the world and the universe. All the plans of God are presented in the new covenant and he's handing this off. The keys to the entire universe. The thing that Adam dropped. The thing that God wanted to rule through Adam. God wanted to reign through Adam. But Adam dropped the ball. How's he going to get it back? Now he's looking for another to carry the ball and to take it all the way in and complete the plan of God and to work through and to rule through and to reign through. And here he is trying to hand this off to somebody in heaven 
And he's saying, here are the keys to everything that is about ready to take place in the rest of the plan of God. This is how my kingdom is going to be made real on earth as it is in heaven. And all of a sudden, he's saying, this is a very particular document that only the heir can open up. And the Bible says a mighty angel stands up with a loud voice that can just shake the four corners of the universe. And he stands up and opens his mouth and he cries out this, Who is worthy to open up the scroll and its seals? Who is worthy? Who is worthy to open up the scroll and its seals? Everything about the scroll had been everything that John had committed his life to. This is everything he's committed. This is everything we've committed our lives to as Christians. This is everything we're casting ourselves on. If the scroll doesn't exist, then our salvation doesn't exist. I mean, this right here is everything for John. And, 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 and he's looking and the Father is handing it out and holding it out. And in verse 3, it says that no one on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and to look therein. Nobody was able to take the scroll. Nobody was opened up. Let John be human for a minute. You know the rest of the story. Can you imagine being John there, taken up into the room, and all of a sudden he's seeing this, and God the Father's holding out this redemptive history, this redemptive plan, and he's holding out this, this title deed, so to say. He's open, holding out this last will and testament the new covenant can be enacted by the one who can reach out and take it and open it up and the rest of the plan can the will can be now can be complete for you and I our salvation can be made the universe can be fixed back right the animals can be fixed right right back right and redeemed and be in harmony and unity the lion can lay with the lamb all these things can be fixed if there could be somebody if there could be a second Adam or somebody who could take the scroll out of the hand of the Father, but I looked and there was no one. No, I know that. Well, please hurry. I'm bored. Get me out for Father's Day. I'm telling you, it wasn't like that in heaven. Because they knew what was at stake. If nobody gets this scroll, we're doomed as the human race. We're done for. We're damned to hell. It's over for us. And everyone else steps back. And can you imagine the people stepping back there? I mean, look at the caliber of people that are there. Michael, the archangel, the one that contended with the body of Mo for Moses there in the book of Jude is there. Why can't he step forward and take the scroll? What about Gabriel? There's not anybody better and more bad than Gabriel who came to Mary and announced the birth of Jesus. He's in that room, but he steps back. What about the saints of old in that room? room that are standing there that they all take a step back when the angel thunders who is worthy to come and take the scroll out of the hands but John said I looked and no one was no one no one was able to come and right all the wrongs. No one was able to worthy to bring God's final plan about to where all of humanity is going to be dealt with in judgment. No one is going to be able to come and restore the world back to the things that we all hope the world is restored back to. Like no more death, no more dying, no more crying, no more hospitals, no more morgues, no more. But no one there was worthy and no one was able to take the rest of this scroll and to bring about the rest of the plan of God there was nobody stepping forward and the Bible says that John who grew up in Jerusalem and longed for the Messiah he knew about the Messiah that's why when the Messiah came John finally acknowledged and recognized this Messiah his mama and dad, his mama went and fought for him let my son sit on the left hand and another one sit on the right hand this John leaned on his bosom and on his breast he recognized Jesus as the Messiah and all of a sudden now he's on this Patmos and he's there and he's wondering now the world's a mess. The world is a mess. Rome is fuming. I, I, I've watched now in 70 AD the destruction of Rome. I've watched Judea and, million, and, and many marched off and killed there now after that. And I know in his mind, John is like, where are you, Jesus? Because I know they had to think he's coming back quick, right? He's coming back quick. Where is he? he you, know, you know, John, if I, uh, Peter or John, whichever one he said, if, if I want to come back before uh, you die, before one of you dies or one of you doesn't, 
that's up to me. You know, I can do whatever I want. They're all thinking he's going to come back quickly. But all of a sudden now, things are happening. He's now seen this destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus hasn't returned. He's seen the destruction of Judea. Jesus hasn't returned. He's seeing, uh, he's been pastor in Asia Minor. Five out of the seven churches that he's overseer are corrupt and have issues. Where are you, Jesus? I thought the church was supposed to be a bride not having spot or wrinkle. Waiting for her groom. Right? But now it seems the world is falling apart. And a church that is supposed to be strong and powerful seems to be weak. And he's standing before the throne and nobody is stepping forward to take the scroll. And what does John do? Something I think we all would do in that moment. He begins to weep loudly. Loudly. Listen to what he says. I begin to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And folks, I believe it was this. I heard somebody say this. I believe it was the weep in the garden after Adam fell. The weep after Adam and Eve. Can you imagine the weep that is going on when you know you've lost your salvation? When you know you've been kicked out of the garden? When you know you've failed and you've sinned against God? And there's this weep and this cry that is let out. Can you imagine Adam and Eve now stepping out side of paradise? And the angel with a flaming sword is locking them out? I don't know about you, but that's a pretty rotten feeling. How are we ever going to get back in there? It's cold out here. We're alone out here. We're naked. We're afraid. What's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to our families? Man, our son, and our, they're fighting. They killed each other. What's going to happen? Is God ever going to right the wrong? And you can imagine the weeping that's coming out of that place. I think that's the weeping that's going on in heaven when you can't find anybody to take the scroll and unloose the scroll and the plan of God for the rest of redemptive history, folks. We're lost if this doesn't get done. It's the weeping of Noah when he watched all kinds of people being destroyed outside in the flood. It's the weeping of a family after family that died after wandering through the desert for 40 years and being away from God. It's the weeping of captivity when they died in Babylon. It's the weeping as they watched Jesus die on the cross and they're thinking, where now are we going to be saved? We put out our hope in Him and now He's dead. He's a dead Messiah. He's a dead Nazarene. What is going to happen? And they weep profusely. It's the weeping of the family who puts their child inside of a grave folks. It's that kind of weeping that is going on in this heavenly place when they say who is worthy to unloose the scrolls and to take the scroll out of my hand. It's the weeping as you look at a world around you and realize this world ain't right. This world is not right. It's the weeping. Not only is it not right, but it's never going to be fixed. That's the kind of weeping we're talking about here with John. In John's head, everything's falling apart. In John's head, there, there is no one worthy to open the scroll. And he just starts to weep. But then one of the elders, the Bible says, walks up to John, gives him a command. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Stop your crying, John. All is good. Stop your crying. Stop your whining. Everything is okay. The lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. Now John would have known exactly what the lion of the tribe of Judah would have been. Because he's mentioned in Genesis 49 and 8. And I think this is why a lot of Jewish people have a hard time recognizing Jesus as the Messiah. Because they're saying, where is the lamb? Where, I mean the lion. Where is the lion? Listen to what it says about, about the lion. It says, Judah your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father shall son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be obedience of all people. Where is the lion? They're thinking in the first coming. Where's the lion? Here's a lamb, but where's the lion? Where is the lion of the tribe of Judah? 
Judah. He's the one we've been longing for. He's the one that can open the scroll and, and loose its seals. But look what it says next because it says that John in heaven turns around in verse 6 and it says, And between the throne of the four living creatures and among the elders, I did not see a lion, but I saw a lamb. I saw a lamb standing. And though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits that God sent into all the earth. Now, what does that mean? I'll tell you one thing it means if you're John up there. If I were to take my sons when they were little to the Birmingham Zoo and being little boys that love cool things and ferocious things, and all of a sudden I said, we're going to the lion's cage and we're going to see the lions. Rawr! And we get to the lion's cage, and to our amazement and surprise, there are not lions in the cage, but there are lambs in the cage. I want to have two upset little boys. Right? Come on, right? The lion of the tribe of Judah, rah! And I turn, and there's a lamb. That, 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 but, but here's the thing before Jesus became the lion he first had to become the lamb and this is what you got to understand in the Old Testament it constantly talks about sacrifice sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice being a sacrifice, being a sacrifice so because, before he comes as conquering king he has to first become the suffering servant but here's the beautiful news he came as the suffering servant the Bible says and he didn't stay dead because God raised him from the dead and so now John is seeing this throne at the throne he is seeing basically the ascension of Jesus Christ where he is standing there ascended as this lion with this blood this new blood that he's presenting there as this lamb that has been slain before the foundation of the world and he has been the suffering suffering servant so now God is saying because you've been the suffering servant now you can be the conquering king and the lion of the tribe of Judah amen, amen. and so before he conquers the world he has to conquer sin. And this is where people get so confused with the gospel message and this gospel story. That's why John the Baptist, and I believe John would recognize this John, the apostle would recognize it as like John the Baptist did. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And see, the moment Satan killed him, which we know he really didn't kill him, he gave his long life up. But, the, but we'll say that the moment that Satan killed him, was really the victory won. It was really setting into place what we are seeing here, that everything else that God's ever wanted for humanity is now being put into motion. Everything from here on out, now he can be exalted. Now he can reign as king. Now he can inst institute the new covenant. Now he can bring people and forgive their sins. And he can forgive their iniquities. Now he can pardon the guilty. And he can make us children of God. Now our salvation is complete. Now our king is coronated. Now he is king of kings and lord of lords. Now God has bestowed this revelation upon his son to be given to us and say, hey, he ain't anymore the suffering servant. He's that, but he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. And now this is instituting the rest of the plan of God. So yes, you're suffering on earth. Yes, some things are going on, but take heaven's perspective. God is in absolute control and he's about to unloose the rest of the plan. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. And that's what we're seeing right here take place. And here's what's beautiful. No one can take the scroll. John's weeping. And then an elder says, don't weep. The lion of the, 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 lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. The root of David has prevailed. And he will take it. And all of a sudden, man, I wish we could have, I hope we have a film room in heaven. Because I just would love to see the cinematography of this scene where Jesus Christ all of a sudden comes forward. And out of the hand of the Father, he grabs the scroll because he is the one who is worthy. He's the one who conquered death, hell, and 
the grave and he is able to take the scroll from the hand of God and basically say, I've got it from here. Everything else is going from here. I've got the plan and I'm moving forward with it. I've got it from here. Everything will be set into motion and it will be finished, Father, just according to our plan. Amen. Hallelujah. And when he did that, here's what they did. Look at verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Folks, they're giving, you're seeing these, the, 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 these, the created beings of all the earth. Uh, you're seeing all the created things now because redemption has come. The plan of redemption has been fulfilled so that everything can be redeemed back like it's supposed to and you're seeing all those creatures see this one who is doing this and immediately they don't just say well I don't know I don't know if my doctrine allows me to raise my hand I don't know if I should sing right now I don't know if I should shout I don't know if I should open my mouth I don't know if I should sing very loud I don't know if I should run an aisle I don't know what I should do they don't think about that the creation of heaven and earth is going my goodness we are redeemed we're forgiven praise the one praise the lamb praise the lamb who died. It breaks out in praise. Dear God, it breaks out in praise. We were doomed. We were wrecked. We were lost. But now we are redeemed. We are saved. We are saved because of this one. This lamb who was slain. Amen. And has redeemed us back to our God. And they begin to break out in song. And when he had taken the scroll, the four and the living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having harps, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song because they're redeemed now. They're redeemed now. It's a new song, folks. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed the people for God from every tribe, language, Language, people, nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth as it is in heaven. And basically, what's happening here is the King Jesus is about ready to inaugurate everything to set the world into order. Now, you need to like kind of marinate on that. As bad as it is, John, as bad as it is, Brookside Church of God, in 2022. No, come up here from heaven's perspective. The one who died, the one who was buried, the one who rose from the dead, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, has conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. And now he's conquering the world. And he is setting the whole redemptive plan into motion. And what you are seeing when he took that scroll, when he begins to unloose it from here to the end of the book, he is putting everything into place. So weep not. Don't look downcast. Don't worry about who's in the White House or who's over here or who's over there. Because God is putting his plan into motion and this is how it's going to end Jesus Christ as king and coming for his people and so from the last breath till the reigning fully let me say something great we are good we are good we are good did you see those, those prayers? Did you see, see the problem? We, we often live in this little key, little K kingdom where we're so worried about our little world and our little kingdom. We're worried about the stock market that's going to crash. We're worried about this and our 401k. We're worried about our job. And God's saying, quit looking at the little K and look at the big K. The big K, everything from my perspective is good. You are good. You are good. Everything's okay from a big K. 
perspective. That's why he says the prayers, the harps and the bowls of prayer are being presented to Jesus. The prayers of the saints. Folks, those are big K prayers. Why do we pray so many little K prayers? Little kingdom prayers. Oh, my bunion hurts. Oh, me, God, touch me. No, let's move our prayers to some big kingdom prayer. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Dear God, bring back, come for us. Dear God, save our neighborhoods, God. Save nations. Touch lives. Transform people. Oh, man, let's pray some kingdom prayers because those are precious prayers to him that the Bible shows us here that are being carried as a sweet incense before his throne. Do you know your prayers, they're not wasted, folks. They come up before him and they're a sweet savor into the nostrils of God. So let's pray those prayers up to God and know that. John later cries what we sang this morning. Even so come. He comes to the end of the book and he says, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And here's something in closing. By the time, how many want Jesus to come quickly? Yeah. Well, often the speed by which we want that to happen is, is mostly dictated by how we view him truly as king. I mean, I mean, if you look out in the world, do you look out in the world that's chaotic and, 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 and say, I can't wait for Jesus to come to right all the wrongs? But then we ask ourselves, do you, do you long for those things? Do you, do, you, do you really long for those things? Do you look in your neighborhood? Did you leave your neighborhood this morning wondering that, hey, we're studying Revelation and what we're seeing here from heaven's perspective is Jesus is about to open these seals of judgment. This is really about to, Jesus is really coming. He's really really about to do this? This is the next thing that's set into motion that this is really about to happen? If, if this is really about to happen, he's really about to right all the wrongs, then what about our neighbor who doesn't know him, who's never named the name of Jesus? What about the guy right here that cuts grass every day that none of us talk to, right here next door? What about the person right over here? What about the people around us? What about the person across the street from us? What about the people that we pass all the time at Walmart? Are we concerned if this is really the next step that is going to happen and people really are going to perish who don't know Jesus Christ. They really are going to die and, and spend eternity in hell apart from the presence of God. Then it should, it should cause us, it should cause us to want to realize that Jesus really is enthroned. Jesus really is about to do what this book says. He really is about to break the seals and bring the rest of the plan of God until he's ruling as king and until he comes back. And so we need to take this gospel as fast as we can to a perishing and lost world and tell them exactly what the Bible says. Amen? Hallelujah. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for the word of God. And Lord, we thank you, God, that, uh, that your coming is soon. And so, Father, speak to our hearts and change our lives in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Verse 11, and I'll close in th and 13. Look at the, those that are thrilled that Jesus is coming back. This is, this is what they start to say. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads of thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. They, 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 they break out. And then, uh, and, and, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him sits on the throne and the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped him. And when I read that, I think about myself and how often we sit in service and we do this. We're worried about people around us. I want to raise my hands, but I'm more. And that's not what's taking place here. <laughs> 
That's not the mindset here. They are seeing, they know who Jesus is, and they, they see him as King of kings and Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the ruler of all things, the one who grabbed the scroll, the one who absolutely adores us, the one who is coming back together, those who are his, uh, that we might live forever and ever with him. And then again, ask the question, are we excited about his return? And if we're not, I think we need to pray this in our altar. Is God renew our desire and our passion for your coming? Renew our desire and our passion for you. God, remove the passion for, for your return and, 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 and all that I preach because Jesus is coming back. Hallelujah. We're going to play a song. And we're going to bow our heads and just worship this lamb real quick. And we're going to get you out of here on Father's Day. One song. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, and maybe this all sounded like Greek to you. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is God. He is King and kings and Lord of lords. He is the Word that was made flesh. He left heaven because man had sinned and offended the holy God. And he loved us enough to come and to die in our stead and in our place. So God put on flesh and became a man and paid the ultimate price for our sins. He lived a perfect, obedient life and took back the title deed, so to say, to this earth and to heaven and the universe and everything so that he could redeem everybody and everything back to himself and, and, and reconcile everything back the way it was intended and supposed to be before Adam and Eve fell. And he has done that. And the way that we enter in to his kingdom now is through repentance. We acknowledge that we are sinners and that we have fallen short of the glory of God and that we need a Savior. And that's what he became, the Savior of the world. And we believe on him and in him by faith. And those who believe by faith the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died, was buried, rose again, you shall be saved. As many as received him, Jesus, the person, became, they became the children of God. So if that's you this morning, and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, but you know you're a sinner, and you would like to be forgiven for those sins, and you would like to make, make reconciliation with God, you'd make, like to make things right with God, the only way is through the mediator. There's one mediator between man and Christ, and that is the man... Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for us that's how we get forgiveness that's our high priest that's our go-between so if you receive him as many as receive him they've received the father if you know him you know me if you've received him you've received me and so so that's the way through Jesus Christ he is the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father but by him so Jesus Jesus, if there's one that doesn't know you or hasn't made you Lord of their life or Lord and Savior, I pray today that they would open up their heart and their mind and their soul and their spirit and they would cry out to you to come in to their life and, and to change them from the inside out. And God, you promise those that do that, that you would take out the old heart and you would give them a new heart and you give them a new mind and you give them a new spirit and you would help them to walk in your ways and in your statutes and you would write their name in the Lamb's book of life you would give them eternal life with you in heaven in the new heaven and the new earth where there is no more defilement no more sin and God what a glorious life it's going to be and so Lord we want that and I pray there's people here today that are crying out and saying Jesus I want that I want that today save me save my life give me eternal life today in your name we pray Hallelujah. Hallelujah.